You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Uh, that was awesome. Let's go to God in prayer as we begin our study of the Word. Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to come and worship you. So grateful, God, for your spirit. We wanted to uh, fill the atmosphere and to uh, be around us, uh, among us, and you in us. Thank you, God, so much for just the privilege of being here as a part of the West Side, uh, the West Side Church. Uh, we're so grateful to be a part of the greater Los Angeles family of churches here in the Los Angeles uh, International Churches of Christ. Father, thank you so much for uh, all those that have come today, all those that have tuned in. Uh, open our minds and our hearts. Uh, help us to draw near to you and to hear your words. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, great to be with everybody today. Um, you know, for a lot of uh, the marrieds, guess what? This is our last service here outdoors before we go back to our indoor venue. And then next week will be our last service. All the singles will be here and the campus will be back, right? We're missing the campus. They're down there having an awesome fall retreat. I, I know Carrie shared about it. We were down there. So proud of them. Uh, 600 students from all throughout the Southwest, um, all our different fellowship of churches. And they're so excited. It's the first time they've been together uh, in about two years. So super encouraging. Anyway, great being with everybody today. And of course, today is Halloween. Now, the history of Halloween is an interesting history. It does, many historians believe its roots are Christian-based. All Hallows' Eve, which is today, right, tomorrow, the day, where they remember the saints, the martyrs of old, who gave their life. And so that's where the idea of remembering those who've passed away in the faith, serving, and then you think about the dead, and then that kind of cycled into ghouls and goblins and, you know, things like that. And then, of course, you know, a capitalistic culture takes it and says, all right, we've got to make money off this. And I don't mind the one thing we get to enjoy, candy. I like candy. I don't know about you, but I, I think a little bit of candy is not unhealthy. My grandparents both lived into their 90s, and they ate a lot of sugar and a lot of candy, and they made it to their 90s. So a little bit of candy is okay. And I already had a Snickers bar that thank you, James Lynn, for putting it out there on the table. I should have brought bags of candy and thrown it out to the to the congregation. That would have been a smart move now that I think about it. But uh, so I enjoy this time of year whenever I go to, uh, you know, doctor's offices or appointments or, you know, get my car fixed. They always have a bowl of candy. And I'm just like, oh, these are free, right? Okay, I'll grab a few. And I grab a lot. And they're like, yeah, take all you want. And I walk out with my pockets all full. I'm like, I like this holiday, right? So it's okay. I, we don't, you know, celebrate some of the, the uh, you know, non-Christian aspects. That we don't celebrate Halloween as, as per se. However, as disciples of Jesus, as servants of the King of all the world, we want to use whatever resources there are, whatever circumstances, and to be all things to all people. Hey, why not do things uh, within the culture that draw people to Jesus with any kind of uh, event? And so I usually, when I do a Bible talk or a sermon, uh, close to this day, I, I like this particular passage because it talks about skeletons, bones, right, which fits into the theme. So today we're going to do a study on the book of Ezekiel, verse 30, uh, chapter 37, rather, and we're going to look through verse 1 through 14. It's considered um, sort of the classic Halloween sermon, and it's powerful. It's good at all times during the year because it talks about coming alive. 
And it talks about the dry bones. Of, of course, at the time when Ezekiel wrote this, uh, it was probably about the year 580, 600 A.D. And Ezekiel, the prophet, was um, he was in exile along with the other Israelites. They were under the Babylonian captivity. And it was a dark time for that nation, for the nation of Israel. They had been captured. Their nation had been dissolved. Uh, their spiritual light had, had dimmed tremendously. Many things had gone out in many ways. And Ezekiel is given this vision, and he writes this story, and it's an inspiring story. So I have it on the screen. You can turn in your Bible so you can reference both if you like. But let's begin reading in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord. You alone know. So let me set the stage. In Israelite culture, you know, they went through really two types of burials. One is when they were, when they passed away, they would place their body in usually a rock tomb that they had cut out and they would lay them in there for an extended period of time until the skin had all decayed and it was just left with dry bones. Then they would go back in maybe quite a long time later, maybe when someone else passed away and they were putting another body in there in the family. They're usually family tombs. And they would check the other bones out and see had 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 all the the tissue decayed and were the bones dried out. And if they were, they would put them in a separate ossuary, which is a a container like a a stone container that would store because they believed someday God would resurrect all people in the final day of resurrection and that he needed the bones. Now, we know in our day. If God's going to resurrect us, he, he can do it with bones or no bones, or it doesn't matter what happens. If he's going to resurrect, he can pretty much do whatever he wants. But that was their tradition. So as Ezekiel's talking about this, this is their, their thinking. This made some sense. You know, this idea of going in and seeing these bones, and he sees this whole valley full of bones. So it's not just the family, it's really the whole nation, which was symbolic of what, what had happened to the nation. It had been held in captivity by the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire had come before that, and it was a dark time in their nation. And so this idea was speaking to their hearts because they felt in many ways that they had died as a nation. And God's given Ezekiel a vision for them, but we know also these Old Testament principles are written down for us as we build the spiritual nation of God, and they give us inspiration as well. And so he sees this valley of dry bones. They're dried. They're dead. And I started thinking about Christianity in America today. And, you know, in many ways, it's it's drying up. There's a lot of statistics about this. Look at this statistic I have on the screen. Um, according to uh, Barna Research and the Center for uh, Research and Cultural Research, it says that belief in the existence of God as the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe who still rules the world today is down from 86% of Americans in 1991, which is when I became a a true Christian, right the year before that, 1990. I got baptized October 15, 1990. And back then, 86% of people believed in God. But today, statistically, 46% of Americans believe this. Wow, that is almost a 50% drop. 
in the understanding that God, God is really there who rules the world. We've become secular, secularized, humanistic. Belief that the Bible is the accurate and reliable word of God in America has gone from 70% in 1971. And I didn't, I was one of the 30% in 1990. I really didn't believe that, uh, 1990. And then I, of course, began to believe it. But today, the average American, it's 41% would say that the Bible is accurate and reliable word of God. We live in the westernized world in a valley of dry bones spiritually. And going out on the campuses, uh, especially at UCLA, and we were out sharing our faith a number of times, you find so many students that aren't sure of their faith. They're either, they're either nuns, no faith, no God, or they're duns, had a little faith, but gave it up, right? Nuns and duns are big in our culture. And we're called to believe that God has a plan in the middle of the Valley of Dry Bones. And I don't know how you're feeling spiritually, we're going to be having some awesome mental and spiritual health uh, training and, and, and forums and discussions coming up at our midweeks because all of us have gone through a really challenging time during the pandemic and the shutdown. We're, we're still facing the challenges, right? We're meeting outdoors because of that. It has affected the whole world. But God's spirit intends to lift us up. And we're going to study a little bit more. How does God inspire Ezekiel through the story? So let's keep reading the story and see what happens. As we read in verse 4, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Say to these bones, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And in verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And I was, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. You know, the word prophesy really means to speak God's message. And we know in our generation, you know, the Holy Spirit can inspire us, and he inspired the writers of the Bible. And as we read and study the Bible, as we read it to each other and learn it, we're being prophesied to by God and through one another as we study the word. So the word of God truly can revive us. Do you today, Westside Church, believe that? The Word of God can revive you. Let's talk about the Word of God. And I got three simple points we're going to pull out of how to come alive. And I want to urge us, no matter where you've been at, you can come alive. And if you feel already alive, you can take it even higher. The Spirit of God can take us higher. The Word of God can take us higher. And the hope of God can take us higher. We're going to talk about those three things today. But you see here, Ezekiel is told to prophesy. To speak the truth. And when he spoke the truth, it began to rattle the bones, right? It begins to wake you up. And if you've ever felt a little a little dried out spiritually, a little down spiritually, a little disconnected, a little just not spiritual. You ever feel just not spiritual? I've been there. Sometimes when I go on vacation, I, I vacation a little too much. And I I don't read the Bible as much as I should. 
and I'm relaxing, and I'm just, I read, and I sometimes read a really good spiritual book, but, you know, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm letting down, and, but it can get the best of me. The thing that revives me, as soon as I open the word back up, journaling what you're reading, letting the word seep into your soul, the word begins to work. The word really is our guide. It's our hope. I love how the psalmists say, the word is more precious than gold. It's like jewels. It's so rich. It's the finest, richest food. You know, I had the privilege of going on a, a one-week getaway to um, to Spain. Got to go with Nick and Gus. It was awesome. It was a little getaway with her mom, Jane. Thank you. They helped invite us. And we took advantage of it. Carrie's family is from uh, well, her origin, her family native uh, heritage is from Spain. I thought that'd be so awesome. We can get a chance to go there. And it was an affordable opportunity. I was like, we're going to do it. Well, while we were there, we ate some rich food, a lot of really good food, right? It was known for their food. Went to like the, these little, they have all these little um, incredible, like, I think there's something like 12,000 little uh, bars spread out. And they're known for what they call pinchos, which is their name for tapas, uh, the Basque name for, for food. And these are like gourmet little appetizers. There's so many, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Everywhere you go, we're drinking some good sangria, little wine, and having all these pinchos. And I was just, you know, it was gorge. And Nick as well, he, you know, he gained some weight. I know he gained weight while he was there. It was rich, rich food. But when we eat really rich food, a lot of times, you know what we feel? We feel kind of like lethargic. But when you eat the word of God, you come alive. The word of God is different. It's way better than real food. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need the word. The word revives no matter where you are are at spiritually, the word can revive you. The word can strengthen you. The word can give you hope. The word gets you through the toughest of times, right? He said, prophesy to those bones, those dead and dry bones. Don't underestimate getting into the word of God. For me, I I love to read the book of John. If I'm ever a little down, I just start reading the book of John. I love the book of John. I love the apostle Paul. I love the Proverbs. I love the Psalms. I know I love Genesis. I love, you know, I love the whole Bible. I hope you like reading the word of God. The word revives. Do you have some scriptures that revive you in tough times? You know, when I meet with the men who I help mentor or the men that help mentor me or partners in the faith that are my, you know, we kind of co-mentor each other. Well, we talk about challenges that we go through. One of the challenges often men talk about is making sure we're, we're not looking lustfully at a woman. That's a challenge in, I think, every culture. Uh, not only in America, it's a, it's a challenge. And the word of God gives us the strength to do that. The word of God, you know, when I think about scriptures and I think about the challenge of being faithful to God, it's the word that gives me the strength. I remember early on Colossians three, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I would quote that to myself. So, so I would look at the souls and minds and eyes of women thinking of their spiritual reality that God, these are his daughters. I would quote when Jesus rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. And if I ever saw something I thought was tempting, a picture or something, I'd just be like, get behind me. I'd say it out loud, get behind me, Satan. 
If you're listening to me, you probably thought I was possessed or something. But I, I was quoting these scriptures. Why? To revive my soul and strengthen me and allow me to live faithfully. I like in Job, it says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. We need the word. The word has answers. Revival for where you're weak, for where you're down, for where you're struggling. The word gives us life. The word brings life. And God told Ezekiel, prophesy. And the bones began to rattle. They began to come together. Wherever we are at, if you're watching this today, no matter how far you feel like you've drifted, if you feel stale and down and disconnected and just not fired up for God, you need to begin to read the word of God on your own, get a little journal and begin to write down insights that pop into your mind. You read. You read the word of God. And sometimes, you know, I've been at times when I've read and it's like, I've read this before and I've read this before. I've read the whole Bible. I've read these words and, and sometimes it doesn't quite pierce you, maybe for the first 10 minutes, the first 15 minutes, sometimes first 20 minutes. Sometimes you gotta persevere. You gotta keep reading. You gotta pause. You gotta sit there and look at it. Sometimes you just look at one verse over and over. But the word of God will begin to allow the bones of spiritual decay to rattle and come together. They're designed that way. They have a dynamic power in them. They're from God himself. The word of God, church, is needed in your personal life. We need to be a people of the word, a people who read the word, hold to the word, follow the word, study the word, and live it out. The word revives, amen? Let's keep going in the story here. In verse 8, he says, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them. And skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath Entered them. They came to life and stood up a vast army. Wow, that's inspiring. A vast army. God had pulled together the nation. He was planting this image that he would restore the nation. Now, interestingly in history at this time, uh, with the Babylonian Empire running the world at that time in about 580 B.C., None of the Israelites thought it was even a possibility that they would get to return and rebuild the ruins and rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall. They didn't know that Persia would take over the world in about 50 years and that God would inspire Cyrus, the king of Persia, to send out a decree. And by the way, go back to your homelands and rebuild. They, they had no idea, but God knew. Some of us, we, we, don't, we don't realize the vision God has for us. We don't realize the vision God has for your personal life or for our collective Bible talk that we get to be a part of or for the West Side or for our family of churches or for the greater kingdom of God. Jesus resurrected. He reigns right now. He is the reigning king of the universe. And he's asking us to believe that and act in accordance with that because he plans to work to reveal that to the whole world. 
But it's going to take more than just the word. It's going to take the spirit. Now, where the spirit is, you will find the word of God. And when you read the word of God, the spirit will be right there. But God's spirit is on earth right now. And the spirit revives. That's point two. The spirit revives. Have you been talking to him? He's here. Jesus physically He went into heaven and he sent the Spirit. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's here. God is here. The Spirit is here. He's our our friend, our advisor, our comforter, our advocate. He's on our side. He's with us. He loves us. He's amongst us. He wants to reside within us. The Scriptures teach, be filled with the Spirit. Fan into flame the gifts of the Spirit. There's a Spirit. God's power is available to all of us. We don't want to squelch the spirit, right? Or quench the spirit. You know, that little voice in the back of your mind and your heart, I believe that's the spirit of God telling you, yeah, don't do that or do do that or, hey, go talk to that person or, hey, by the way, that thought that just popped in your mind, I gave you that thought. How do we get the spirit to be fanned into flame? How does that happen? Well, there's a lot of ways to do it. Let me just say it's pretty simple. Let me say this. We need to read the word, but guess what else we need to do? Pray. Praying brings the spirit, doesn't it? This week, I've been um, building a great friendship with a, a, a guy named Eric Spooner. He's been coming out quite a bit. He's been tying into the West Side. He, he uh, grew up in the Pentecostal churches and uh, was his whole family, our ministers in the Pentecostal churches. And so he, you know, he ended up coming out to our services and has become a part of our, our gathering here. And Eric and I have been meeting on a regular basis. This week, we went on an hour and a half prayer walk. And we were overlooking all of L.A. We walked up uh, at the top of the Culver Steps, and we got to see it was a clear day. You could see the ocean. You could see downtown L.A. You could see the Hollywood sign. You could see the whole basin. And I just thought, what an incredible area. And we were just praying together the whole time. And as we began to pray, we started getting fired up. You know, we started being like, yeah. You know, our voice started getting louder. And we started like, yes, and God, and do this. And we started praying for a lot of you in here and talking about what God wants to do and how God's going to work. And afterwards, you know, we were both like energized. And he's like, I, I want to lead a Bible study group. I'm like, you do? <laughs> we need more leaders. So we're going to make that happen. I mean, that's how the Spirit works. He revives us. He speaks to us. When we pray to him, you know, when you're talking to God, you're in conversation. When I'm in a conversation with my wife, you know, it's not only me that talks. Like, if I'm going to have a good conversation, I need to listen, right? And so what happens in the same way as you pray, be mindful that God is listening. But then he also speaks to you. Pause a few times. Listen. That's why I do like to go on prayer walks with others because then I can listen to their prayer but then also God begins to speak to me in my mind and I'll, sometimes I'll jot ideas down of things we need to do on the west side or sermon series we could talk about or new outreach projects that we can start or ideas that I think God puts those on our heart. Have you been listening? The spirit revives us. I want to I want to release all of you to listen to the spirit. We don't have to tell you to do things. God will tell you to do things. I don't want you to feel like you have to always run things by me and check with me. Hey, can I start this new ministry that helps people find God? You can. You don't have to ask me about that. Go ahead and start that. We want you to do things. And, and I know a lot of you have. I know we've got uh, podcasts that started up and other people are doing all, all kinds of great activities going on. I know there's a lot going on in the West Side. Thank you for doing that. 
let's let the Spirit speak to us and act on it more and more because the Spirit revives. And like I said, our culture is filled with dry bones. But if you're here today, it's because you're interested in the Word being spoken to you. You're interested in coming alive. You're interested in the Spirit speaking. So listen. Be in prayer. We're about to hit the holiday time. And like I said, when I go on vacation, sometimes I'm not as spiritual as I ought to be. I want to urge all of us over the holiday time. We're going to hit Thanksgiving. We're going to hit Christmas. Let's be spiritual. The word of God, prayer are really needed to keep you connected. Allow the spirit to flame you, to get you excited about God, to be filled with energy. Like you want to do great things for God. You guys with me? All right. We're going to begin a study over the next two months in the book of Proverbs, and our theme is going to be on joy. We want to look at God's joy and how he wants us to have joy. Of course, joy to all the world, the Lord has come, right? That's the holiday theme of, of the Christmas time. But we know the word of God, uh, one of the fruits of the spirit is joy. And I want us to really focus on that because it's easy to be down. A lot of us are going through a lot of tough times, and I want us to get a deep joy that comes from uh, truth. Where really there are a lot of reasons to be happy if you look closely at god's word and what he's done There's a lot of reasons to be happy And so I want us to focus on godly joy What that really looks like from the inside and we're going to be studying through the proverbs And you know proverbs are awesome because they give you wisdom on how to live, right? They're great for the young. They're great for our preteens our teens our college our singles our old people like me, right? They're good for everybody So let's dig into the word and let's be deep in prayer. Let's keep reading the story and see what happens as we close out. It says, then he said to me in verse 11, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Wow, that's not too encouraging, right? And, and so how are they really feeling? That's, that was the saying back then. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it declares the Lord. So they didn't have a lot of hope. And so that's why God sent this message. What, what was their saying? He said earlier, he quoted the saying, this is what was going on in the culture. It's what Ezekiel was hearing. They were saying this. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. That was, that was like the, the common cultural thinking in their day because of all the trials they'd been through. What has your thinking been over the past year and a half? Is it a faithful thought or a negative thought? Is it a dried up thought or is it a hopeful thought? They were not being hopeful. And hey, reality in front of them was not hopeful. And, and let's be real. Sometimes reality in front of us is not hopeful. You know, in 2000 and what was it? It was four. It was a tough year for my family. My, uh, my wife's father, uh, father died that year. My wife's grandfather died that year. My son had major surgery. And then later that year, my wife had to have major surgery. She had thyroid surgery. And then to cap off the whole year, my own mother, she was burned in a fire, terrible fire. 
Her whole face was burned off. Her fingers were burned off. My mom was in a tough place. That was a, that was a tough year. So that was, that was actually New Year's Eve when that happened to my mom. I thought she was going to die. She didn't die. Um, miraculously, she survived, but she was in a coma for three months. And I would fly out to visit her. And it was tough to have hope during that time. Sometimes our reality is tough. You know, she came out of the coma. I had one, went to visit her. She was living on the East Coast, and I kept flying back to see if she's going to come out of the coma. And when I was there one time, she came out of the coma. Of course, I had to tell her what happened when she came out. And, of course, her face was burned off, and her fingers were burned. And she had severe burns all over her whole body. And my mom was also, she had been an alcoholic my whole life. And um, this is very tough, and I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, this is so hard. I, you know, she... She had a lot of mental issues, and my brother and I, we, we realized well, we're going to have to bring her back to California, and, and I ended up moving her in like a mile and a half from my house and got some family support to, to help take care of her, and we ended up you know, getting her to go to hospitals. What was amazing is during that time, of course, I was living at the time out in the Inland Empire leading the Rancho uh, Church that we had out there, and we had a lot of older women who uh, could connect with her, and they began to uh, reach out to her in an incredible way. So here she was depressed, you know, looking at, realizing she's a beautiful woman that had, you know, her, she'd already been through so much trial in her life, so much turmoil. I, I could write a whole book and tell you many more stories, but you know, this was tough, but I had just a glimmer of hope. And the hope was that God would somehow speak to her powerfully. And these women would go and they would study the Bible with my mom. And she did not like them at first. She was like, God, why do they always come and visit me? Like, well, they're trying to help you, Mom. You, you need some help. Yeah, but I, they're, they're so pushy. Eventually, though, she became best friends with one of them. And they were the most pushy one. And she's like, yeah, how come she's not calling me anymore? Well, you told her to stop calling you. but Yeah, yeah but she usually didn't listen to me. Okay, you're right. And she began to really value that love and that support. Now, what happened is my mom, when she got out of the hospital, the doctors prescribed to her, uh, unlimited quantities of painkillers of Oxycontin, and she was immediately, uh, you know, addicted to it, and it, it, it did affect her ability to comprehend. But you know, God gave her a chance, and I just leave her in the hands of God. She passed away in 2009. Sadly, even though her lungs were burned, she started smoking again, and it was very sad. It was it's not a good thing, I, and she died of lung cancer in 2009 after this. But you know, during that time, I, I held on to this glimmer of hope. And God answered. He gave her every chance. And I, I leave her in God's hands. I, I know that she believed in Jesus and loved, you know, understood him. But she was a, she was a drug addict. And, you know, I don't know. I, I just trust the love of God. But I had to hold on to some hope in, in, in the middle of difficulty and hard times. You know, simultaneously, uh, after she passed, you know what else happened? Interestingly, uh, that same year... Uh, my son Nathan was born. He's actually my nephew, but he's my son because what happened was his mom, uh, Tara, um, had him and she was not in a good place in life. So Carrie and I took her in and her new son, Nathan. And it was amazing. It was the same year my mom died. And Tara, uh, we've heard this story. It, 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 she, as our sister, also was going through hard times. And I don't know if you've ever, family members have gone through drug addiction, but it is, it is painful. You know, like with my mom, I, the son of an alcoholic, my mom died essentially addicted to drugs, and it's painful. And Tara as well had gotten addicted, and we thought, this is terrible. It's, sometimes you don't have hope. But I'll never forget Lynn, Carrie's mom, my mother-in-law, Lynn, how she would pray every day for her. She held on to hope every day. There were times 
we thought we would get the call that Tara was dead. Because we, sometimes we didn't know where she was living. It was a really painful time. And I know you've heard the story, but what's incredible is, you know, she got sober. She ended up getting married. Her husband began to, came out to our Mother's Day service this year and began to study the Bible after. And he ended up getting tied into our Orange County ministry. And he became a disciple, got baptized several months ago. And Tara as well has opened her heart to study the word of God. And, you know, you got to hold on to hope. You know, hope revives. Hope can revive us. Don't believe the lies. I know some of us are going through really hard times with family members, our children, our own lives, our marriages, family members we wish knew God, people in the church that have left that breaks our heart. But you got to hold on to hope. Right? God tells him, hold on to hope. He says, listen, I can create a vast army out of a dead and dry-boned valley. I can fix some problems, but hold on to hope. Today, as we reflect on what Jesus did for us at the cross, understand the word revives, the spirit revives, and hope revives. And we can never give up hope Church, never give up hope. God is working. He cares for you. He can heal you. He can heal your family. He can bring glory out of, out of death. Hope. The greatest hope we have, we get from the cross. The resurrection of Jesus says that death will not have the final say about our life. That he resurrected physically And what that says, guys, I want you to recognize this. This story of the resurrection of this nation actually applies to us. Because the Bible's clear, and I want you to be clear on this. There will be a physical resurrection. We don't have to store our bones in a little box. God can reconstitute every last atom and will. And I think even science of DNA has proven that. One cell. And, of course, God has all our DNAs programmed into the mind of God. So he doesn't need, and he creates with a word, he creates something out of nothing. So even if our entire body is incinerated, he can recreate us perfectly and will. And I'm here to tell you, we believe in a king, a Lord, a God who physically resurrected. And the promise is someday we will. If we are in Christ, we will have an eternity. And I'll get to see a chuka. I get to see a Robin. I get to see a Nick and a Gus and a Rick and a Heather. And all of you out here, we're going to see each other and rejoice and live a life of glory to God without all the encumbrances that we now face. But you got to hold on to the hope. It's a hope beyond imagination. The word revives. The spirit revives. And hope revives. At this time, I want us to have a little reflection on this, these concepts before we take the actual communion. So I want to ask this question, and we'll just take a few moments, like, like three to five minutes, and with the people sitting right next to you or in front of you or behind you, answer this question. How can the word, the spirit, or hope help revive you? And then we're going to take the elements to remind us of the, resurrect, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So let's have that discussion right now. 
All right, this time we're going to pray for the uh, the elements, the fruit of the vine and the bread. Remember, Jesus instituted this to remind us of what he did and who he is, right? The bread reminds us of his body, his life, that he, God came to show us, I love you, I'll live, I'll live a life here to, to, and I'll die for you. And his blood shed is the way that this incredible infinite gift of hope and forgiveness comes. So let's remember that as we take these elements. Father, thank you so much for creating a vast army of disciples. Help us to be revived in every way as we reflect on what Jesus has done, uh, on, on who you are. Thank you for, uh, Lord, your body given and your blood shed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.